Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. This is another night of the impact of educational leadership. This is episode 46. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Jordan III. Tonight's panelists are Buddy Gordon, Lisa Wilkraut, and Rick Bolay. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to the people. Hello. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Well, tonight's topic is cyberbullying toolkits for the digital age. Currently, studies show that half of workplace bullying and 40% of school bullying will go unreported. Cyberbullying is becoming an epidemic in America, and social media has helped catapult it to an astronomical level where parents educators and those in a position to help simply don't know what to do. According to a report from the CDC, Center for Disease and Control, one out of 12 teens have attempted suicide. And one in six high school students have seriously considered it. Young people, especially those living in poverty, often bring with them to school multiple barriers impeding their learning and development. Tonight, we will have a discussion to address cyberbullying toolkits for the digital age. My first panelist tonight is Buddy, the positive social change agent pro. Buddy, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Buddy Thornton. Bachelor of Science in Allied Health Sciences, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Master's in Human Services Counseling and Executive Leadership, Liberty University. Doctoral learner, completing his dissertation at Grand King University. Branding as the Positive Social Change Agent Pro through effective coaching and mentoring. Focus on education and family dynamics. He is also the proud board member of Parent File and board member of Brokenness to Healing Foundation. We are so enthralled to have him here with us this evening. Okay, with that being said, my question for you, buddy, is how can we teach students to be more resilient moving forward into the digital age? Isaiah, that's an excellent question. Uh, first, before I even try to answer it, I want to speak for the entire panel in saying that there is zero socially redeeming value in any form of bullying, whether it be cyber, uh, in person, uh, in business, in the home. Bullying has 
zero value and it is one of the most detrimental things in our society today. Resilience actually comes from an intrinsic belief that you have value. Teachers, parents have to really reach inside and find out what makes each child tick and understand that the most important thing they can impart to them is a sense of self-confidence, self-esteem, take steps to build maturity. And popularity is highly overrated. What kids need to understand today is they need to understand that it has to be about themselves first. I know it's a little antithetical sometimes. It makes it a little difficult when you're trying to teach in a large environment where you've got a lot of, a lot of kids. But you have the extroverts, you have the introverts, and then you have those who are just, they naturally become victims because they have not had any sense of self-confidence. They have not had any sense of self-esteem. They have not been given opportunities to build that. In my uh, one teaching presentation that I give to teachers, administrators, and to students on my life, my voice, my dreams, my choice, I try to teach them that they have to build their life from the bottom up. And they have to find their voice. What, what excites them? What makes them happy? And if they can get a grasp on that, they can start building self-confidence and self-esteem. And then they can start searching out with their feelers and find out what they're passionate about. And then they can externalize and get a support system built around them, but it still revolves back to themselves. They have to be motivated to move through and achieve their dreams. And to do that without self-confidence or self-esteem, it's virtually impossible. When you add the bullying dynamic to that, now you've got a kid who, as soon as they're bullied, they lose all sense of neural connection they drop down into the fight, flight, or freeze component, and they really can't respond in any way other than what they have seen. They know from prior experience, from the role models in their lives, what a bully is, and to fear them. And so that's where they are. So the number one thing teachers, parents can do is they can elevate them away from the bullying dynamic, get them back out of their amygdala response, and get them up into thinking. And the best way to do that is Let's build a pre-program of how to identify bullying and how to build resilience in each kid, how to give them that self-confidence. It's a tough conversation. Kids have to make tough choices. Are you gonna be fearful or are you gonna build yourself a resiliency toolkit by building self-esteem and self-confidence so that when the bullying comes at you, you already have the tools to believe you have self-worth and you can get through it. And that's probably the best resiliency tool we have. Build it before it happens. <laughs> you know, Buddy, Positive Social Change Agent Pro, that was absolutely wonderful. That was a wonderful response. I love the way you talked about programs to build and develop resiliency and, and self-confidence and those support systems that are so needed. Uh, you know, a lot of times people, they don't even know why people cyberbully other people in the first place. I mean, whether they may think that it's funny, right? They don't, and then educators sometimes don't even think it's a big deal, right? And then some people say that bully, bullying was encouraged by their friends, right, in, in their circles or whatever. And so, 
you know, some people don't even know what cyberbullying is at all, right? In most cases, cyberbullies don't get caught. They don't get caught and because they don't believe that it's important. And then there are different factors, like you said, that cause people to do different things, right? I mean, what is uh, microaggression, right? And these are triggers that may trigger someone to be envious or jealous or whatever the case. So uh, I like the way you talked about uh, how to escape those problems, how to escape those problems. That's a key in hunting for the good stuff, and that's pretty much you know, what you do as a positive social change agent. You show people, you teach people, you guide people how to hunt, if you will, for the good stuff. So I love the response, and I want to direct my next question to Lisa Wilkraut. I believe that would be perfect. Lisa, how are you doing this evening? I am doing very well. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Let me tell you a little bit about Lisa Wilkow, a graduate of Purdue University with a master's degree in educational administration and a bachelor's degree in education. She has experience as an independent consultant since 2006, teaching grades K-12 and as an educational administrator. Throughout her career, she enhanced learning outcomes the professional development of staff members, and positive communications with communities. Lisa, with that being said, my question for you is, what are some tools, what are some tools that educators can use to keep track of changes in students' behavior? Isaiah, I'm going to talk through five ways to track changes in students' behavior. And the first one that I'm going to discuss is making observations and discussions with students. Uh, by observing them in the classroom, outside of the classroom, in the hallways, lunchroom, etc., we can see, you know, students that they interact with, how they interact, and can notice changes. Uh, if a student, you know, always comes in as happy and all of a sudden has his head down on the desk, you know, something's not right. So going up and discussing with that student, you know, hey, why is your head down? What's going on? You know, the student may say, hey, I have a migraine headache, you know, and I'm not fine for one day, but kind of talking to the student, you know, hey, do you want to go down to the nurse? Um, if it turns into a daily occurrence of every day he has a homework or has a headache, you know, maybe I need to communicate with parents. Maybe I need to talk with the student more to see what the problem is. So I think observations and discussions is the first step. The second step I would take are what are called anecdotal records. Now, an anecdotal record is a short summary of an observation. So an anecdotal record needs to be factual and objective. You can't put any opinions or personal feelings or judgments to that. I have an example on my PowerPoint. You can see in my example I have the date there, I have a time, what class it is. This might be for maybe high school. I have like science class. You can see through the documentation I have that it's, it's very uh, non 
uh, judgmental, opinionated, just kind of states what has, was seen during that incident. Those records can be kept in a notebook or on your computer. You know, I, I usually jot them down in a notebook. But you can set them aside and, you know, refer back to them if an, an incident continues. So those are extremely important. Uh, the third uh, type of tracking I would do would be frequency. If you have a behavior that happens constantly and seems to be, you know, something that you have happening all the time, then you can do what I would call frequency records. A frequency record, generally for that, what you're going to do is actually tally the number of times a behavior happens uh, during a set amount of time. So I, I will look at, um, on my example, I have Sue Smith, and I'm looking for the frequency of how often she uh, does name calling, so she's calling names to different students and making fun of them. So um, on October 19th of 23, uh, 2023, oh, I put the wrong year, but that's okay, um, you can see I put tally marks for the day, you know, each time she makes basically a name calling gesture, I put a tally mark. So you can see on the 19th, we have eight total tallies, so she did it eight times. By looking at an, a group of data for a full week, you can see you know, on the 22nd, she has you know, a total of, I believe it's 10, so that has the most. And I can kind of look at why was that a heavy day, why did she have more this day or less that day. It kind of lets me know if that is a real problem. The fourth type of tracking you can do is an interval record. Now an interval record is taking a selective behavior and you record it during the time and what you're going to do is you're going to set a specific time uh, amounts. So for this example I have on my uh, PowerPoint, I have 15 minute increments. So from 9 to 9.15, 9.15 to 9.30, 9.30 to 9.45, et cetera. Basically what I'm going to do every 15 minutes is I'm going to say, did the behavior happen? So on the second, you can see at 9 to 9.15, I, I looked at the behavior and I say, okay, Joe Brown, did he physically hurt someone? And I kind of define what physically hurting is. If, it, if he did, I'm going to put a plus sign. If he did not hurt somebody during that time period, I put a minus. So on the second at 9 to 9.15, he did not hurt anyone, so I'm going to put a minus sign. And then uh, you can see on the third at, from 9 to 9.15, he did hurt someone, so I put a plus. So I can kind of look at a full week and decide, oh, I noticed from 9.45 to 10 a.m. there's solid pluses. Boy, every single, you know, that time frame, this always seems to be happening. He seems to be physically hurting someone. So that's something I can mark where I can also look at 9.15 to 9.45, it's kind of spread. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. So that way I can kind of decide whether or not uh, I need to change maybe the activities, what's causing this, and looking at that as well. And the last one I'm going to talk about is school records. So the fifth way to track would be looking at school records. So that would be things like attendance, grade, discipline. And if I notice changes in them, so if I notice attendance, you know, every Friday, Bill's not at school or Susan's not showing up on Mondays. Or even in high school, if you have specific classes, he's not showing up for science class every day, but he's here for all the other classes. Maybe something's happening in science. So that's something to look at. Grade fluctuation. If he's going from A's to F's or F's to A's, you know, 
What's going on? Discipline is another area of focus. If I notice similarities in discipline, he's being sent to the office for this issue or that issue, that's something I can address as well. And seeing if that's being a problem as far as, you know, bullying of some type. Lisa Wilkrow, thank you so much for your response. You bring so much professionalism to this podcast, and it is relentless. It is relentless how you answer these questions. You know, you talk, you gave us scenarios. You gave us scenarios on how to track uh, and keep record of behaviors and changes in behaviors with these students, right, based on the characteristics that emerge or that they show or that they display, right? But that only comes about by having a relationship. And I like the way you covered each topic because some, some people, some court people would say, and we have, we have mediators on this panel, but some court people would say, uh, as far as it relates to law, that, okay, are you violating the Privacy Act, right, by um, tracking this information? But no, you're not, because these are standard tools in the education system that is implemented with progress reports, behavior reports. So it's totally legal what you're doing, and that's something that we're going to really, really have to hone in on, I believe, moving forward in, into the digital age, right? So I like the way, I, I like the way you help deter what some uh, researchers are calling now bully side, and bully side is basically when a kid is, is um, bullied so much, um, cyber bullied so much that they actually do the most unimaginable thing, and that's take their own life. And so these are some of the toolkits that the panelists tonight are stopping, uh, are, are using to stop, are using to deter bully side, okay? And, you know, that's, that's going to be, unfortunately, a word that, you know, we're probably going to hear a lot, a term we're probably going to hear a lot of moving forward, especially with virtual classrooms, especially with more social media platforms, right? But it is... It's happening, it's true. All you have to do is Google it, all you have to do is look it up, and you will see for yourself. So, Lisa, we appreciate you <laughs> for the response. Well, thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Next we have, uh, and you guys know this guy, he's been on the podcast many, 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 many times, and that is Rick Bollet. Mr. Bollet, please say hello to the people. Good evening, good evening. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Rick Bollet, uh, Bachelor's of Science in Music Education, Master's of Science in Educational Leadership and Administration from Duquesne University, a 17-year teaching veteran in Pennsylvania and Texas, serving as president of Clean Educators Association in Region 10, of the Texas State Teachers Association, representing over 3,500 educators across Central Texas. Currently, he's teaching elementary music in the Clean Independent School District near Fort Hood, Texas. Rick, you know, we pulled you back on the podcast because of your expertise uh, in the field of, of education, your knowledge as it relates to public safety. A lot of people are pulling on you now for different news stations, uh, newspapers, because of your experience and because of your, your stick-to-itiveness. 
uh, as it relates to the education system as a whole. And then also you are uh, the president of a, a major, 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 one of the largest uh, teachers union in the world. So we're so, so pleased to have you here tonight. Right, how are you and your staff members connecting this new knowledge with previous knowledge to expand um, public safety in education? To, and what I mean by expand, I mean to enhance, to make better public safety in education. Well, thank you. Uh, again, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I, I want to, before I answer your question, I want to clarify a couple of things. Uh, I am president of a local and a, a region in the Texas State Teachers Association. Um, our parent organization is the National Education Association that does have uh, over three million educators uh, around the country and even more around the world when you factor that in. So I just felt the need to, you know, make sure that that was squared away. So with that said, in terms of expanding public safety in education, it's a difficult subject to address because it covers a lot of things. Uh, we're not just talking about students harassing students, right? Because they're not the only ones that are impacted by cyberbullying. I had a member last year uh, who was called me uh, being harassed and threatened online by students who did not like the policies that she had placed in place for, for lab work and the grades that she gave as a result of them not following those policies that she laid out clearly in her syllabus at the beginning of the year, reminded them of that, referred them to it, and they didn't like it. And so they uh, started posting things online, including uh, memes of, of things with guns and talking about, you know, potential violence and wanting to do a throwdown. So when I started looking into this, I was astonished by the fact that when I looked, there were no provisions in either the local board policy in our district or the state education code with regards to students bullying educators. There are lots of provisions about students bullying students, as I said, and educators bullying students, but there's nothing, there was nothing in there that protected educators from student bullying. So the first thing I did was uh, work to get a resolution passed last year in the Texas State Teachers Association House of Delegates to support protections for educators against bullying. And that allowed TSTA to, to back and then help push for a bill that conveniently happened to be moving through the Texas legislature last session that helped provide some codification against cyberbullying uh, from students against educators. And eventually that did pass and that was signed into law. So I was pleased with that. So in providing that legal framework to help prevent bullying is an important component because we need to understand that the law as it applies to the cyber world is typically more than a little vague because it's not, it's kind of a free zone. There's not a whole lot of regulation that occurs with it. And as a result, when you get things like cyberbullying, districts are kind of limited as, as to what they can do to prevent and deal with it because the bullying itself doesn't take place on school property and most education law is pretty clear in saying that it needs to take place on school property in order for the districts to have jurisdiction. So that makes it a lot more complicated in terms of dealing with the bullies when they operate online. When it comes to how information and knowledge about cyberbullying is transmitted, in many cases, there's not a whole lot of change uh, at this point 
as to what's been happening because multimedia sources have been in use for transmitting information for quite some time. Things like PowerPoints, instructional videos, uh, they have been transmitted via email or a web link for years. Um, some of the new things that are coming out are interactive videos with quizzes that are inserted into them to help provide feedback and assessment of knowledge. Uh, and I anticipate seeing more of that coming, especially in the near future as we continue to adjust during the time of COVID. But the other limitations of a digital learning environment still apply in terms of equity of access and how you identify those things. I suspect that on some levels there are going to be a few trainings that will start coming out in the next few months that focus on identifying situations where potential bullying is occurring. We're already seeing some of that in terms of the socio-emotional learning or SEL and trauma-informed schools, right, where we're trying to do that, restorative discipline, things of like that where we're trying to bring these things out into the open. But we still have to deal with getting these bits of important bits of, excuse me, important bits of information to the people that need to hear it, right? And one thing I'm excited about that I've been looking into that's a concept called a text-based course. And a text-based program is where uh, small sections of information on a subject are sent via text message over a period of days, um, or, or SMS or MMS, if you would, multimedia sense. Uh, given that most folks nowadays at least have cellular communication in some form that involves texting, uh, that text format can go a long way to help eliminate some of those access inequities. Excuse me. That, that format, though, it still allows for assessment and exploration through links. It also provides uh, kind of a break and a difference from the inevitable stream of Zoom meetings. Uh, I'm beginning to call myself a Zoombie. Uh, and it, it, but it also allows for the processing of, it, of information and the chunking of information in a manner that doesn't require a large block of committed time. I'm actually in the final stages of preparing the first module of a new text program, a new text course for uh, the campus representatives in my local. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I think it's going to work really, really well. And I'm hoping that we, we're starting something new that can really help address some of the barriers that people have in terms of distance learning, especially when it, you're dealing with cyberbullying like this. People need to be able to understand the information and know what to do. So getting that information to them in a form that they can access and that they can process becomes really, really important. And it's going to take new ideas and new initiatives like this to overcome those barriers when it comes to distance learning. But it's something that we need to do, and I'm excited to hopefully uh, find, try to find a way to, to make that happen. Powerful, powerful. And, and, and again, Rick's talking about bullying here. You've been talking about bullying and how for me, how I analyze what you said, bullying has entered into the digital age, right? We really, you know, can't really prove it. There's really no grounds. Laws are still being developed, right, to support everything, to prove, like, you know, where it came from, because you can't really prove who, who started the bullying on, on cyber, on the cyber net, right? And so these impulses behind it are, are the same as the traditional bullying, but these effects are now magnified. They're magnified because they go to a wider, uh, a wider spectrum, right? And so, you know, Rick, I, I like the way you, um, I like what you've been doing in the community to support public safety, and it's, it's not easy. Like you said, it's very diverse. It's nothing simple about it, and 
but it's a work in progress. It's not perfect, but you know, you got lawmakers out there, you got policymakers out there. They are working around the clock. They really are, though you don't see it, but you know, they're working around the clock. And it's so good to know that you know, you're rubbing elbows with these guys and girls, Rick, and thank you for the response. And because you made that response the way you did, and, and because people are, are listening, and some people are, are probably a little ticked off because they're like, well, they're not telling us how to, basically how to charge somebody for harassment, right? And because, you know, I think the best way for us to get a better view on this topic is for someone to share a personal story about cyberbullying that they've experienced. Who would like to share a story? <laughs> um, there have been a couple of cases where I have dealt with some very abusive people online. Uh, I've had cases where people have sent anonymous emails uh, with some very, very nasty things. Um, and when it comes to doing that, you know, it, it's obviously easier for me as an adult to, to handle this. Uh, but when I look at it from a child's perspective, or if I look at it from a parent's perspective, in terms of what, you know, if it's happening to their child, uh, to me, uh, that's kind of more the important factor than what happens to, you know, what has happened to me personally. And the thing to understand is that when you have a child in the schools uh, that is being cyberbullied, or, or if you have an educator that is being cyberbullied, the key to this, as with so many other things, is communication. Because uh, from a legal standpoint, the district may not be able to do as much uh, in terms of discipline or legal action, but um, what they can do is help coordinate with the local enforcement offices. Uh, the police departments, and uh, they can work on addressing the legal end of that. The other prong, the other point of that does involve the district, and that would involve getting the counselors involved, because you still have a situation of where the child is still in, in the environment where the bully is also operating. So to say that it is only happening online would kind of be a misnomer. It's really happening in the environment within the physical environment as well is what, I, is what I'm getting. So you need to make sure that you are also coordinating things with the counselors and the various anti-bullying programs in, in on the schools and on the campuses. And the other thing to bear in mind is that it, it takes communication, it takes patience, and it takes persistence because you are dealing with an individual, and when I'm speaking of the bully when I say that, who unless they are given a pretty substantial reason to not behave in that fashion, likely is going to see no reason to stop. So it, it is something that takes an effort and it is something that is uh, very difficult because you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to stop doing that behavior because they're not being negatively impacted by it. So that part of the challenge that you have when you deal with that, and I love you know, the listing of the things that, that Lisa mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of those outlets and those opportunities and the ways to document for teachers and educators, because those things are important in providing that information to investigators, not only uh, on the campus and the district area, but also in the local community, right? Because documentation and evidence and observation 
is important. And it's important that educators be aware of these things that are happening and that they are documenting these things that are happening so that when the time comes, there is a trail of information that can be used to persuade, you know, either the students and or the parents who sometimes think, well, my child's not doing that. That's not what they do, right? But they are. And so it's important to have that documentation so that it doesn't turn into one person's word against another. So having that and understanding the fact that it's not just one thing, right? It's not just the police. It's not just the district administration. It takes a coordinated effort on everybody's part to be able to handle that. And that's part of the reason why, especially with the lack of regulation uh, on the internet, why cyberbullying is a difficult thing to deal with because they're operating in an area where it is more difficult to, to hold them accountable for the actions that they do. So that requires extra work, extra documentation, extra detail, and extra diligence. I guess I'm favoring the letter D today. Um, so, you know, but it's important to do those, to take those into consideration and, and for parents to, to be persistent because it's their children and we don't want uh, any more bully sides uh, if we can possibly avoid them. Thank you, Mr. Bollet. Exactly. We do not need any more bully side victims because we've had enough and the pain that happens affects the whole school and the whole school district. Any more stories that any parents would like to share? Go ahead. I'm listening. One of the things uh, to expand on what Rick said was, number one, the old dynamic was separate the bully from the victim. How do you do that in a digital environment? How do you prevent cyberbullying when there's no direct connection? Number one, we have to still go back to the tried and true understanding that bullies operate in the dark. They have to operate in the dark. They cannot stand the light of day. So the number one way to, to defend yourself against cyberbullying is to use that forward key in your emails, in your social media, share it. Forward it to someone who really has a position of being an outsider who has an interest in stopping bullying. Every school can create a dynamic where if a child believes they're being cyberbullied, they could forward the information to a some type of a mailbox or Dropbox and the administration or the school counselor or somebody could take a look at it non-judgmentally, but we don't deny that the bullying is taking place. Number one, teachers deny the bullying is taking place or they say, you just got to deal with it. You know what? We don't have to deal with it. These children do not have to deal with it. They're not adults. They need an outlet that they trust and they need to see follow through. When they forward something to that Dropbox, the bully needs to be addressed in some way, shape or form. And that creates fear in the bully. And once you do that, without any violence or without any other interaction between the bully and the victim, now we have a tool that allows a voice to be heard and action to be taken. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You know, let's talk about the type, types of cyberbullying while we, while we got everybody on the on the panel here real quick because you know bullying is gossip spreading rumors trying to damage someone's character right or friendships it's harassment it's an insults being offensive like rick was talking about in his experience that he had received some very very insulting comments on his social media uh, and it's also cyber stalking 
right, where people are making threatening messages to intimidate you or threaten you, and and, and, and then also there is taking someone's picture and, and deforming the picture to make it look like they're doing something that they never did before. All of those are under the umbrella of cyberbullying. This was another impactful night of the Impact Education Leadership. Episode 46 comes tonight were Buddy Thornton, Lisa Wilkout, also Rick Belay. Thank you and good night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting.